Darnell Williams at the tailback. They'll hand it off to Williams up the middle. 25. Cuts it inside. 30. 35. 40. There goes Cadillac. To the 50. To the 40. To the 30. To the 20. To the 15. 10. Go crazy, Cadillac. Go crazy. Touchdown. Now they can play a little safer. But they're not going to. Nix is back. Throws it downfield. Caught. Touchdown, Williams. A 20-yard attempt. Josh Harris, the snapper. He'll call to the place. He'll hold it. Byron waits for the snap to the place. There it is. The kick is up. The kick is good. Auburn wins. 22-19. What's going on, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the Auburn Today podcast. As always, my name is Noble. Joined here with my co-host, Wheeler. Today, we have a lot of content coming at y'all. Um, it's been a little while since we've, uh, since we've been on. You know, we had, had a plan to come on right after, uh, you know, Auburn's crushing loss in the round of 32. But, you know, Weather was a little too busy for, for the podcast. He doesn't care about y'all. So, uh, we're coming to you now. And honestly, the game is just not really something that is something that we'll be focusing on a lot because – Honestly, it was just a sad game, and there's not really a whole lot of breakdown. I mean, we got absolutely destroyed up and down the court. But we either really quick, give us your thoughts. Um, you know, you, you know, the week before, or really, I think it was the podcast after the SEC tournament, you predicted a round of 32 exit. You ended up being correct. Just kind of give us your thoughts about going into that game. You know, were you still firm in your stance of a round of 32 exit, or were you hopeful? of beating kind of a not incredibly talented Miami team compared to what Auburn had, but just kind of give us a quick rundown of your thoughts going into that game and kind of how you were surprised at different aspects of what, what played out. Noble, I think as we've gotten more listeners, you've become more like mainstream media and you just <laughs> lie saying that I didn't have time for the podcast. What a fake. What an absolute fake. Every single time I've tasted you. No, I got a big test coming up. Oh, that is, a, that is a bold-faced lie. Anyway. Continue, continue. The people don't need to hear your lies. Here's the, here's the truth. The truth of the matter is I got lucky with my prediction. As people know, I typically have very cold takes on this podcast, but in this case, the perfect storm occurred. Here's what happened. Auburn was on a losing skid, which means my depression was setting in. So I made a depressed pick several weeks before the emotions of the tournament could get me high again. And then Noble's test schedule didn't allow for me to get high on the podcast. So I sounded like a genius. And I guess round of 32 exit. Now, I'm ashamed to admit the morning of the Miami game, I did predict a 20 point win. <laughs> <laughs> that was a cold take. All right, that, that, was, that a, was a cold 30, take. A 38-point swing in total of being wrong on that one. Here's the thing, Nobes. I was cold going into this tournament, and I thought if we lose to Jacksonville State, I'll melt down and I will never podcast again because I'll be just too embarrassed to be an Auburn fan. We didn't lose to Jacksonville State, as we shouldn't have, and I thought, wow, we won our first-round game. They're going to be tournament time, guys. I was abysmally wrong. They uh, they had their worst game of the season. It wasn't especially Miami's fault. It wasn't especially the referee's fault. They were just not playing very good basketball. And, you know, you hate to see it. I'm not surprised to see it. They weren't playing very well going into March. They were super inconsistent throughout the season. I love the effort this team gave. They will always be remembered as one of the most fun teams in Auburn basketball history. But if you watch this team from the beginning of the season, there's no way that you could feel great about a deep run in the NCAA tournament because they were so wildly inconsistent, like terribly wildly inconsistent. I Like throw it back to November where they were trailing to Louisiana Monroe at halftime after La Monroe got beat by 60 at LSU. Like, that was this team. That was exactly what this team was. This team struggled to just throw people away, to have blowout wins, almost like no other team I've ever seen. Like, 
For a team to be rated number one in the country at one point, this team never blew anyone out. Like, what game can you think of that was just boring? I mean, I can think of the South Carolina game on the road was one of them. But other than that, I mean, even the Alabama game that they ended up winning by 20, like 10 minutes into the second half, it was a two-point game. So, no. I mean, wasn't surprised. Was quite disappointed. But not as disappointed as I think I would have been if we if we were killing people all the way up and we were on a hot streak and that's how it ended. It, it was not a shocking end. Also, I'm about to get on my soapbox here because I was sitting there watching the basketball game with a bunch of other quote-unquote Auburn fans. Oh my word. Some of the people in this world are such Johnny-come-latelys. This guy sat down on the couch crying to his girlfriend saying, I'm so tired of Auburn basketball losing. You're a moron. Are you kidding me? Bro, we're a two seed in the NCAA tournament. Like six years ago, not well, I guess a little bit longer than that. Like before Bruce got here, we didn't win double digit games. Like they did not, they played 30 basketball games and didn't win double digits of them. And they were playing half of the, the, all of their wins were against teams that we paid to come and play. I don't even know that they beat a D1 school. They were horrendous at basketball. They do not remember the days where we had to bring in Kareem Canty, who literally played like this was, I don't know, the backyard and would shoot from the logo, make it one out of every 10 times, and then throw up his hand and do the watch celebration. Everybody's like, oh, Kareem Canty. Guys, ESPN had us on a 24-hour loop game that started at 8 in the morning. Like, we were so undesirable to watch. They put us at 8 a.m. The only people that were watching that game were the couple of students that would have skipped class anyway and some degenerates out in Vegas. Like, Auburn basketball has come a really, really long way. To be a two-seed in the NCAA tournament and then to complain? What? No. People have lost their ever-loving minds. They said, we need to fire Mike Bergemeister. I'm like, do you even know what Mike Bergmeister does? Or is that the only assistant you know and you just want to fire somebody? Because that's what we do. We fire somebody and then go on a rant and say, yellow fellas bad for the program. The Nevilles are bad for the program. We've never been the same since they gave the money for the arena. I hate them now. Absolutely not. I'm throwing these people away. And the other thing. It's called March Madness, and everybody loves March Madness when you see Kentucky lose to St. Peter's, but when your team loses, which is a common thing, everybody loses in March. Duke loses in the first round. You make it to the second round and you lose. That's what the tournament is. That's why people love it. Oh, so frustrating. All of the people that got so angry at this basketball team and said the whole season's a failure when they won an SEC championship, won an NCAA tournament game, we're a two seed. We lock Bruce down for forever, and we're getting a basketball-only facility, not to mention recruiting is looking up. Guys, basketball is going to be okay, but they did. They had a terrible end of the season. They were 500 at the end of the season, and sometimes that's just how it goes. Enjoy winning an SEC championship. Enjoy that you were a two seed. Enjoy that we got a new basketball-only facility coming because I guarantee you this. If Auburn was going to be an eight seed in this year's NCAA tournament, Bruce Pearl would not be locked down and there would not be a new basketball-only facility. So a lot of great things came out of this year. And people want to complain because they started watching basketball when Auburn went to the Final Four. And they just think every single year, Auburn's expectation is the Final Four. And I'm typically Mr. Auburn should have high expectations. And Noble's always like, we're a perennial losing program. I'm not saying we're a losing program, but like no one goes to the final four regularly. John Calipari and Kentucky do not go to the final four regularly. Duke has not gone regularly recently. North Carolina has not. Yes, they're both there this year, but that's not, they haven't been there in a long time. Like it is incredibly difficult to be one of the top four teams in the most competitive sport in all of college sports. Like the, being a blue blood in college basketball is one of the hardest places to be a blue blood. 
especially with the transfer portal. And I'm tired of everybody complaining and expecting a Final Four every single year that we're good. Like, that can't be the expectation that, oh, we don't suck this year. We got to make a run to the Final Four. Like, oh, Wendell needs to turn into Jared Harper. Oh, KD needs to become Bryce Brown. Like, no, they had a one-off great, like, 10 games. And everybody expects that if you're putting on an Auburn jersey that in March some magical potion happens and Mike Burgermeister is supposed to feed you whatever kind of Wheaties to get you to drain threes and sing about that time. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I agree, you know, and I, I can't say that, you know, the same analogy entered my mind, but I do think it's a really good one. You know, I mean, you know, it's kind of like what you said, even the year that we made the final four, like that team, like was dreaming of maybe being a four ended up being a five seed and we thought that was incredible like if you had asked me even two years ago if you had said yeah and you know two or three years or yeah th- in three seasons from now you are gonna be a two seed like and kind of be disappointed that you're not a one like I'd be happy with that and I think that it you know it is important to take a step back see that the program has arrived you know and that's the thing like even though we didn't make a run in the tournament, this isn't like South Carolina where they make the final four and then just kind of fall off and go back to mediocrity where they were, end up firing their coach. Like Auburn has gotten to the point that this program will consistently be in for big time players will consistently be good. And will consistently every other year, every two years will be up there and be a team that is in contention, top three, top four seed which is extremely exciting that basketball is going to be a big deal for a very long time. That's one thing. Obviously, the game isn't great, but now I think that it's kind of time to shift our focus to the roster and kind of look at how next year is going to play out. So kind of a couple moving parts have already started going. You know, I talked, uh, for those that don't know, I had an Instagram live the night of the game and kind of talked through a lot of things and, Something that we knew that would happen would be transfers. You knew that one of Devin Cambridge, Alan Flanagan, or Jalen Williams were all at least one of them, or Chris Moore, at least one of those guys was going to transfer, and maybe two. The first domino fell pretty soon after the tournament, and that was Devin Cambridge entering the transfer portal. And then today, Preston Cook enters the transfer portal. Those aren't really you know comparable, but it's like, okay, Preston Cook opens up a scholarship he's going to play somewhere where he can actually get in the game, you know, all good for him. But so the first domino that fell was really Devin Cambridge, who is a, you know, a rotational guy, guy that started half the season, legitimate guy that is going to play uh, that won't be here. So Wheeler, just real quick, give us your kind of your thoughts about Devin Cambridge as a player leaving and how you think that kind of assuming, you know, this probably won't happen, but assuming that we don't bring someone else in to replace the hole that Devin left, how do you think we will fill the hole with the guys that we have now? Do you think it'll be an increase in Chris Moore? Do you think it'll be an increase in Leor? Do you think it'll just make Allen more prevalent? Just how do you think that the immediate loss of Devin will affect this team? Yeah, I don't think that losing Devin is a heartbreaker. I mean, love the guy, Auburn guy, but... Yeah, I mean, he has one of the ugliest three-point shots I've ever seen in my life, and it has about the consistency of Gus Malzahn in the red zone. I mean, it's almost so it's almost consistent the wrong way. You know, I mean, it's, it's just not... Yeah, I'm glad that he's going to play with his brother somewhere. More power to him, but I think his minutes can easily be replaced by a litany of players. Honestly... If anybody just really tries to get an offensive rebound and honestly is bad enough at offense that they're left wide open so it's easy for them to go get an offensive rebound, they can do the exact same thing Devin can. The only thing that another player is not going to be able to do is dunk like Devin does. But the problem was is a lot of times they would throw oops to Devin and he would miss them. And we don't remember those, but like there were a lot of games that you know, they got a little oop happy. And, uh, yeah, good for Devin. I hope he goes somewhere where he's a star. 
I can't imagine that it's going to be a super high-level program, though. Yeah, the, the comparison that I would like to make with Devin is if you took an av- – if you just went – if you went to the rec, you go to the Auburn Rec Center and pick – you know, go to the court that's just horrible, and you pick the worst player on the court and give them Michael Jordan's athleticism, that, I would say, is a comparable version of Devin Cambridge. And he, he's a really weird player because he is the most athletic human being I've ever seen in person. But when it comes to basketball, he's just not good. Like, you know, the, his fresh, and I really don't know what happened his freshman season because he had four games where he scored over 20 points, and every other game was, you know, the Devin that we, you know, have seen. No in love. Exactly. And then the next season kind of gets more in the scoring simply because Sharif was throwing him lobs all the time. But when it comes, like his shooting splits went down, shooting was even worse this season. And I just kind of want to know, like, how did he, it was, how did he never get one of those games where he just caught fire from three, like he did against LSU his freshman season? How did he never have one of those games his sophomore or his junior year? I mean, that's, I mean, that's roughly 50 plus games that he never caught fire and he caught because fire his shot his he started year. with the ball in his opposite hip he would start with the ball on his left hip and then he would have his hand on top of the basketball and would spin it with the other like there are so many factors that can go wrong in that shot like that's what like Bryce Brown or Jabari Smith they have great shots and everybody says oh that looks so smooth because it's efficient it uses as little movement as possible so that you have to perfect as little bit of shot as possible. Devin has to perfect the most, like the only he's almost to his knee. Like there's almost not any more space between where his hands can even take the basketball to make it a harder shot. And that was every single time. And if he gets his shot, if he gets with a shooting coach, that's able to tighten up his shot and he can become, you know, a 30% three point shooter then yes, he's got a great shot at playing in the G League, maybe a two-way contract in the NBA. But I just don't think that after three years at Auburn, he still has that broke shot that starts on his left hip. And the dude works hard. Like he's He posts on Instagram at the gym all the time. He's a hardworking dude, super athletic, great guy. But as far as a basketball talent, like it's going to be really tough if you're throwing like that. It's almost the equivalent of like Tim Tebow had the ugliest throwing motion in the history of the world. When he got to a level that he wasn't the most athletic person in the NFL, having the ugliest throwing motion in the world caught up with him. And it was horrible. Like, he couldn't throw an NFL football very well. Devin is the same way. In high school, he was the most athletic person out there by far. He's still probably one of the most athletic in college, but other guys are athletic enough to not just get posterized on every single possession like he has to have space but I mean there were teams that were leaving Devin open and not even trying to go close out on this three they're literally saying go get the rebound and every now and then he would make it and like everybody's gonna make it if you throw the ball up at the rim enough he just his his shot is so inefficient and that makes it so inconsistent and it's frustrating because it's like you're clearly athletic enough to jump and grab the top of the backboard how can you not change your shot in an offseason? Um, and that might have been the deal. You know, Bruce was like, look, you're going to have to change your shot or you're going to need to move on somewhere because he had good playing time. But, you know, with Auburn scholarship restrictions, I just don't think offering his brother a scholarship was going to be possible because it's not like he's Jabari Smith and they're offering his brother a scholarship. Like, he's a role player that can be replaced and they just don't have the scholarships. Yeah, I, I totally agree, and I definitely think it'll be interesting to see how Auburn, you know, I think this is a good transition, how Auburn kind of balances the recruiting from guys straight out of high school and building that way, and then kind of last year how we were focused a little bit more on bringing in, you know, transfers. You know, obviously last year you brought in Wendell Green, Zepp Jasper, KD, Walker, like, you know, yeah, Jabari was in the freshman class, but the majority of the team was rebuilt through the transfer portal, Whereas now, it seemed like we were going to have to look a lot toward the transfer portal to rebuild this roster. And then when Will Wade got fired, then all of a sudden, 
LSU's class got not even flipped. I mean, it got dumped out. I mean, the whole class is gone. So you look at, you know, uh, their immediate, you know, the biggest guys that we were recruiting, you know, we came in second for Johan, Johan Traor out of high school, five-star center from Glendale, Arizona. And then you've also another guy that Auburn has contacted immediately was Julian Phillips, a power forward out of Branson, Missouri. So that's a that's an interesting aspect because it's almost like something we didn't necessarily expect. And then all of a sudden, those guys are available and we're, you know, back to pursuing those guys. Johan will commit later this week. You know, all all indicators point to Auburn as of right now. But Wheeler, how do you think that it will just how do you think that in addition to a guy like Johan will impact the roster immediately? And how also do you think it will affect other guys' decisions, specifically Walker Kessler? Because Jabari, we all know, is going to the NBA. But Walker's an interesting one because he seems kind of 50-50. He's really got to decide a lot of things. He was named National Defensive Player of the Year. Just kind of where do you think Walker's mind is at, and how do you think Johan's decision will impact Kessler's decision? I don't think that Johan will affect Walker's decision. I think Walker's decision is going to – he's going to declare for the draft. I, I mean, I think that's just about a verifiable fact. Like, because in college you can declare for the draft to go into the draft process. And, I mean, we've had guys – I mean, Alan Flanagan has declared for the draft like three times. Like, if you're even close to being an NBA prospect, I see no reason to not enter the – enter the draft to get the draft grade, like just to see where you stand. Even if it's, I think I said this last year, just for fun. Like, yeah, that's a fun process. You're talking to NBA scouts and you're getting wined and dined and learning about the NBA. Like what guy that plays basketball doesn't want to have the NBA looking at them. Like that's so fun, you know? And these are people like they're sports dudes, just like us. So yeah. I think he'll declare for the draft. Now, will he actually leave? I think it depends on his draft grade. Um, I don't know really what else he can do to improve his draft grade. And so I think, you know, I guess he could improve his three-point shooting because if he plays the same defense he played this year, next year, and becomes an actual threat from three, not like every time down the court, but, you know, a little bit more of that NBA style where even like, uh, and I mean, this is going to be a tough comparison just because Chet is one of the top three players in the country right now. But Walker is better on defense than he is. And so if he yeah, could but, go and... Yeah, I mean, Chet shoots, you know, 43% from three. So that's... Right, you know. but that's what I'm saying. Like, if yeah. Walker can shoot 35% from three, which is 10% less than Chet, He's still a top ten pick, and so it's like you know that may be what they say. So that takes you from being a late second round pick to being a first round pick. But the question is, does he think he can have that defensive season again? Does he think he can do that when teams are game planning around him? I think he can because he was still doing it. I mean, even at the end of the season when he was hurt, he was still dominating. Like that's the thing; he's just good at basketball. Like he wasn't a gimmick. There wasn't anything really you could do about it. I mean, you could get lucky and he'd get into foul trouble, but it a yeah. lot of times wasn't something that the other team was doing. It was just what the refs were calling that night. Yeah, and you can't – I mean, you can't game plan for a guy that's going to block everything in the paint because you can't just say, okay, our game plan is just we're just not going to go into the paint. Like, I mean, you can't just say we're just not going to go – I mean, that's, you know, the the part of basketball that if you can, you try and go to the paint as much as possible, but you're just like, well, if he's going to block everything, you can't just not go. You just have to hope that he isn't going to swat you. Yeah. So I think there's a chance he comes back to Auburn next year. I don't think that he's going to be intimidated by a freshman coming in though, because I think he also saw, I mean, Jabari Smith was the number one draft pick in the country and still was sitting on the bench for 10 to 12 minutes. So even if this, freshman comes in and is a phenom like they're going to find ways to get the best people on the court and everybody's going to get their minutes like bruce isn't going to just kill your draft stock by not playing you um and at 610 you might be able to put him and johan on the court at the same time i haven't watched a ton of film on johan so i don't know if he's you know 
a score enough. That's the problem with this last team is we couldn't score. Like, all season long, scoring was an issue. Um, other than in games that we were getting tons of blocks or tons of steals. And so that's going to be the thing that you got to improve, I think. But, yeah, I mean, I think I think we see one more guy transfer. I think uh, Chris Moore might transfer or Jalen. But Bruce said last in the after the game that he wants to build this year's team around Jalen. And it's one thing to say that when the 6'9 to 6'10 dude is Jalen, and another thing when the 6'9 to 6'10 dude is Johan, who's a five-star and top-ten recruit. You know, because yeah. he probably meant it about Jalen at the time, but circumstances change. And so he can do that same thing with Johan. So I, I think less than Walker, Johan will affect either Jalen or Dylan. Because if if Bruce wants to keep Johan at the five, Dylan's going to get frozen out if Walker stays. Yeah, I agree. And I think I think that Walker's decision impacts Jalen's decision more so than Johan. Because I think that if Johan Johan naturally plays more like a center. So he, he's 6'10, 225. In college, 6'10 is a, I mean, that's a perfectly fine height for a center. So, I mean, NBA, it's a decent height. But I mean, obviously, 6'10 is a in the NBA is a more ideal height for a four, but you can play the five in, in the NBA and be fine at 6'10. But so Johan is similar in size to Jabari, but he's 15 pounds heavier and he doesn't have the same shot. He has a decent shot. It's gotten a lot better over his high school, but it's not what Jabari's is. His post moves are phenomenal. I mean, that's really where he makes his money. He can beat anybody, has great handle. I mean, he's he is a really, really talented player. He can definitely play the four, and I think that his his you know ball handling skills really add a versatility that can put him at the four. But the problem is, if he comes, you can have him play in the four and Walker play in the five. That'll be perfectly fine. But Jalen Williams is a talented enough player that he is good enough to start at most schools in the country. And I don't think – I just have a hard time seeing him staying, regardless of how much he loves Auburn. And regardless of how good he is, I just find it tough to see him staying if he's not going to start when he is good enough to start at most schools in the country. So now if Walker declares and if Walker, you know, goes to the NBA and is gone, I think that Johan and Johan will come. Johan will start at the five. Williams will start at the four. Dylan will be the backup center like he always has been. And I think that'll be a perfectly fine rotation. I think that'll be really helpful. So, I think that if Walker stays, you're going to lose Jalen Williams. That's just my opinion, but I just I find it difficult to see unless Jalen has a starting job pretty much lined up. I mean, obviously he's got to work for it, but unless he has, if he doesn't have that starting job, if he's kind of an underdog to win that starting job, I think he'll transfer and go somewhere where he can start. Now, time will tell what will happen with the roster to see kind of how that happens, but I think that if we do get Johan, it's very crucial to watch Walker's decision with that to see the other players. But next up, kind of on the, the target list, is five-star Julian Phillips, 6'8", 200-pound power forward. This is another guy. We def- I would definitely not say that we have the advantage with him because I would de- – I mean, Johan, I would be extremely surprised if we do not land. Julian Phillips is a little different and just not as much of a, a lock as you would say. But if we could land him, I think that would create even more roster turnover with some of the other guys, you know, that we're kind of fighting for minutes already. And then if you add two five stars and a four star at the small forward position, you're kind of just like, well, you know, you can kind of tip your hat. And I think that's another um another aspect that a lot of people are forgetting is you know, Chance Westry, who's been in the class for a very long time, coming in, this is a, I mean, this is a legit player. And it, it really reminds me of kind of when the when the Jalen Green and Jonathan Kamiga, Greg Brown, all those recruitments were going on at the same time. And I feel like everyone kind of forgot that Sharif was already in the class. And Sharif was, you know, arguably just as talented as all those guys, but nobody really talked about him. And then Sharif comes to Auburn and is obviously a baller. 
I mean, Chance is 6'6", 190, small forward, number 31 in the country, very high four-star. I mean, this guy can this guy can play. This guy can play, and I think that he could. It, it might not be easy for him to come into the small forward role and start as a freshman because he's got Alan Flanagan in front of him, but he could start. Like, this guy is a – talent-wise, he is good enough to start as a freshman. So – Freshman-wise, I really like how Auburn looks right now and how we can look. And that's why I think that the transfer portal is very interesting to try and get some more of those vets to come in because, as we've seen, you need some veterans to compete in March. So the top three you know, transfers that intrigue me the most as of today are two guys that we have you know, already reached out to and Eric Stevenson and Brandon Murray. For those that don't know Eric Stevenson, 6'4 guard from South Carolina, shot 38% from three in conference play. Um, a lot of people will probably remember when he came to Auburn for the SEC regular season championship. He had a good showing, had 13 points and eight rebounds, and also pretty much got into a fight with Derek Hall, was screaming at him from the court. Derek Hall was in the student section. You know, memorable player. You also have Brandon Murray. Uh, another one of those LSU guys. He was their starting shooting guard this season. Averaged 10 points and three rebounds. And then you have Xavier Pinson, who was Auburn's biggest target last, or second biggest target behind Walker Kessler last season, uh, looking for a new guard. 6'2", 154-pound guard, originally from Missouri, then went to LSU. That was a guy that we kind of came in second for, and you kind of wonder if Auburn will pursue him again now that he's back in the portal. But Wheeler, just kind of give us your thoughts on those three guys and how you think Auburn will pursue the transfer market by position. Do you think it'll be more of a guard, forward, or center-heavy thing considering what we have now and what we have coming in? I think if we sign Johan, I don't think we'd pick up a transfer unless uh, somebody leaves. All three of those transfers are completely unexciting to me. I think those are all super lame pickups. And, yeah, I'm not in on any of those. I'm going to put a thumbs down on all of those. None of those are exciting. Dude from South Carolina, seriously? Dude got into a fight with Derek Call while he's down by 15 and watching the other team win an SEC championship? What? No. Xavier Pinson? Bruh, come on. No. Honestly, anyone from LSU, no. I don't know. I don't know. Pinson is an interesting one because when he was at Missouri, he was a guy that you definitely wanted. His LSU stats are a little skewed because of his injury. The only He thing also that, missed a game-winning layup. Yes. Why that, that did happen. The only, thing that, the only thing that really worries me about Pinson is his three-point shooting is that he's not exactly a sharpshooter from that range. He's not a bad three-point shooter by any means, but he's not He's Devin really, Cambridge. He is not Devin Cambridge. I he's, would not. You're right. He's I less athletic. He's less no. athletic. No, he is a much better player than Devin Cambridge. His, so his, his three-point shot, his freshman season at Missouri was 40%. Sophomore season was 28. Uh, junior season was 34. Then this season at LSU, it was also 24. But he has a career three-point percentage of 31%. Plays great defense, great from the free throw line, and usually is a pretty effective point guard. And his strength is defense. So if you want a good comparison, think of a – think of Zepp, if Zepp could score a little bit better and was a slightly better playmaker. That's Xavier Pinson. Here's the thing, Nobes. I think if you add a couple of pieces and keep as many from last year – that's your best recipe because last year's team had the right mentality and they had the winning mentality, even though they lost in the round of 32. They just had a really bad game. That's the team that you want. Add some talent, add some scores, but keep that mentality. So, well, okay. So with that, let's, let me, let me hear your uh, dream, dream that is realistic. So let's say that everything that could realistically happen happens for for the good sake of Auburn or the good sake of your scenario. Give us a 10-deep rotation. 
So it would be, you know, two point guards, two shooting guards, two small forwards, two power forwards, two centers, assuming, you know, your, your dream scenario of what could realistically happen. Okay, here's my question. Zepp still has a COVID year, right? Correct. And he said in February that he is taking it, so he will be he will still be at Auburn uh, this coming season, assuming he does not transfer. Wendell, Zepp, Chris Moore. So you want Jaylen Wendell to Williams. start over Zepp? Huh? So Oh, I wasn't doing a start. I was just naming who's on the roster. Well, let's go let's go starting and then back up. Okay. Zepp is your starter. Okay. Who would you have at the two? Allen? Could Allen move all the way down to a two? I mean, he he played the point guard before. That's fair. So I don't hate that. Um, so yeah, I'd put Allen at the two, assuming he's back to his scoring waist, which I'm just going for the point of this exercise, I'm going to assume he will be fully recovered. We'll have an offseason to shoot. He'll be back as a scorer. Okay. So you got Zep, Allen, three. Hmm. Okay, this is just a really big lineup. This is kind of a weird lineup. At the three, Jalen. Then at the four, you have Johan. And at the five, you have Walker. It's a massive lineup right there. Massive lineup. Not very guard heavy, but pretty athletic. Like, I feel like that that team could still guard the three-pointer. You have two elite defenders at your guards in Zepp and Allen. So you have your two best on-ball defenders locking down guards. And then you just have Redwoods down in the paint, muddy in the waters. That is a defensive juggernaut that I I don't know can score. But then you bring Wendell in, and there's your scoring. So your backup five would be Wendell and KD as the back as the backcourt. Well, actually, see, I I like that lineup. I also would like Zepp, KD, Allen, Johan, Walker. Just but you're so, and then about you the can, Williams. yes, and so that way you balance out your defense and your offense. Because in the other scenario, if you have Wendell and KD in the other lineup, you lose a significant amount on defense from Allen and Zepp, but you gain scoring mm-hmm. from. I mean, the two of them are better scorers, but Zepp kind of came on as a scorer. I think with an off season, he might be able to score a little bit more. I mean, if he attacked the rim a little bit more, I think he would have, that would have behooved him because he's clearly, I mean, he's quick enough to keep up with all these people when they're driving. So I don't understand why. I mean, it's the, it's the ball handling that was the but, issue and having a move that gets you that space to take a step. I think that Zepp's biggest thing is really the same thing that Jalen Williams struggles with and it's confidence. And, and it's also that they, they play like they are inferior talent to the rest of their team, and they don't have the mindset that they're on the same team. So, like, Kate, yes. like KD Johnson, his mindset is, like, yeah, Jabari might be the best player in the country, but I'm on the same team as him. I'm in the same starting lineup as him, so I can take 14 shots a game even if they're not falling. And obviously you don't want them taking 14 shots a game if they're not falling, but if they're struggling to get their shot to fall, you don't want them stopping at two to three shots. That's what Zepp does. That's what Jalen Williams does because they're scared to miss because they know how good everyone else is around them. So if Zepp and Jalen Williams could really be aggressive, I think that Zepp could form into a really solid college point guard. I think that Jalen Williams, if he becomes super aggressive and is content on taking seven to eight shots a game at least, I think he could be an NBA guy. I really do. But then you have guys, you know, it's very difficult to predict how they will mentally go into the next season, especially if you replace them, you know, if you're replacing Jabari with a guy like Johan, then it kind of is like, well, you're still super talented and it's harder for those guys to kind of get out of their, their mental rut. But um, I would say, 
So, so you uh, you have the backcourt. So let's hear your, your the backup small forward, backup power forward, and backup center in the the dream scenario. So backup center, you got Dylan. Then I think you put Chris Moore at either either the small or power forward, and then you put who's left. There's only one person left to make ten. You'll have, I mean, then you have the option of Westry, Donaldson. You know, you've got. Is a Donaldson playing basketball for sure? Right now, I'm pretty sure. See, I I think that Donaldson will end up being a basketball player, in my opinion. You know, and not a football in, player. Yes, and it, it's weird because I personally, he I. I think he's a really solid basketball player. I personally think he is slightly better at football than basketball, but I think he likes basketball more. And just kind of seeing how he carries himself and kind of who he hangs out with when he comes to Auburn things, he seems like a basketball recruit that's also really good at football, you know? So I I think – I personally – I could be totally wrong. I personally think he will end up being a basketball-only player by the time he is done at Auburn. And Brian Harson's not really – two-sport kind of coach. No, Brian Harson doesn't really seem like he likes his players to have hobbies that aren't football. <laughs> so, yeah, maybe he, w- he will play basketball. We'll see. Um, yeah, so then I think you put uh, Westry at the three. So, Chris at the four, Westry at the three. Okay. Um, yeah, so I would say mine, mine would probably be See, ideally, this is something. Ideally, I would want Wendell to start. Uh, if if Wendell could become safer with the ball and kind of be able to run an offense, you want Wendell to start. But if he, because he wasn't that this year, like I totally agree with Zep starting this season. But I think that you know at the beginning of the season, because Wendell started the first three or four games of the season, and it was kind of once you kind of saw that Zep was taking care of the ball more that's when Zepp got inserted to the starting lineup. But it wouldn't surprise me if we go into next season with Wendell being the starter to see if he's kind of fixed some of his problems and will be, you know, be uh, more safe. But ideally, I'd want Wendell to be the starter at the one. And at the two, realistically, I think KD would be just the the option because he can score and play solid defense if he gets a little bit more consistent from three. He could potentially, you know, take a really big leap. At the three, I think it's going to be Allen. At the four, four, I'm going to go with Johan, five, Walker, Kessler. Then the 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 second lineup would be Zepp as your, you know, your six-man spot, your backup. See, the, the backup shooting guard I would either have as, um, what's his name, Donaldson or Leor. I think that Leor can really be a guy that can come in next season and actually be a contributor with his three-point shot. Because that's what Auburn really needed was a three-point shot, and I think that Leor can offer that if he can get back used to the speed of the game in the next season. And if he's the 10th guy off the bench, I mean, if your 10th guy off the bench shoots over, you know, 40% from three, that's what Auburn needs. So, and then the backup small forward, I like Chance Westry in that. Uh, spot back up power forward if it's possible to be Jalen Williams. I would like that, but I just don't know if it would be feasible. And then back up center would be Dylan Cardwell. Now, 10 deep, that's a really solid lineup. And then you've got guys like you got a guy like Chris Moore being your 11th man off the bench. Now, a guy with he probably transfers, correct? But I think that you know, in this dream scenario, I think that's very realistic. And I also think that that could be something that could pose a ton of problems and play a very similar style of basketball to what we played this past season with the defense, but with a slightly elevated scoring prowess because everyone just has, you know, an extra year of experience and you're not just relying on Jabari for, for your scoring. I agree. But yeah, so I, I would say that that kind of, you know, wraps up the, uh, the basketball discussion. And obviously we'll be back next week, uh, hopefully with Johan on board to kind of break down recruiting even more and kind of talk about how the roster will play out by then. Cause I definitely foresee some, some more changes happening, some more wheels turning in this next week, but 
Also, something kind of fun that's happening, football is coming back to the horizon with spring practices kind of starting. Um, Auburn definitely has a bit of a disadvantage in the sense of so many injuries. You know, a lot of a lot of the guys that will be starting this fall are not participating in this spring, but it also gives a lot of uh, opportunity for some younger guys to come to the forefront and show what they can do and also for leadership opportunities to step up. So we either just kind of give us your just your initial thoughts about how you think the spring is going and just kind of talk about some players that have impressed you, you know, from from uh, the team this spring. This is not a good football team. Okay. We do not need to fire the coach if we don't win the SEC this year. This team is not an SEC championship level team. Alabama and Georgia are super unique places, and we are not those places right now. We should not be winning a championship every single year right now. And if we keep firing our coaches, we'll never get there. This is going to be a rebuilding season, and I know people don't want a rebuilding season, but you're going to have to have, like, you can't just fix it in one year. And you can't say, well, Urban Meyer won it in two years. Ohio State and Auburn, totally different programs. Alabama, when Nick Saban was there, is a totally different place. That is a historical giant. They're one of the greatest programs in college football history, as is Georgia. Auburn is a top 20 college football program in history. But right now, we're in a rebuilding mode. The cupboard was left bare, and we had a good recruiting class and got bailed out by the fact that our whole O-line took COVID years. The recruiting is looking up. Everybody got all is all fired up that now we got all these recruits coming in, and they say, well, why didn't he do it last year? Okay, look, he you got to give him just a little bit of time. It, he had one year, and his bad recruiting year that everybody's like, how come he didn't figure it out was a top 15 class. He didn't put us behind the eight ball. If anything, he picked up really good players that fit his system. He's got better guys coming on campus. There's improvement in that. He's brought in as many quarterbacks as he possibly could to try and get somebody that's halfway decent and confident as a quarterback. A-Day is going to look atrocious. The team is not as bad as A-Day indicates, but the team's not good. I mean, they're fine. They are an eight to nine win football team if they meet expectation. Like I'd say nine wins is exceeding expectation. It is a good year from Coach Harson. If the team wins six games, I mean, honestly, that's not a bad coaching job either. Like it, the roster is just not great now. I, they're not. I, they're I, fine. I, I would. There's say, a lot of unknowns. Yeah, and I I think that's the biggest thing. There are a ton of unknowns, but. I would say that six wins, he can't have six wins. You know, he can't have six wins. He has to have at least eight. I think that nine with a good recruiting class keeps optimism. Whereas if you go, if you, and when I say a good recruiting class, it has to be top 10. If he's not going to win, like if he's going to win eight games, he has to have a top 10 recruiting class. But I think. That that is possible, and I, I'm higher on the team than almost anyone else that I've seen that really follows Auburn football. Because, and I don't think we're going to win. I, I would be shocked if we won ten games. But I think that nine nine games is my expectation for how many games we will win this season, and that is because of, you know, you keep an offensive line that is good enough to win nine games. Like they're going to get dominated against certain teams. But this offensive line is good enough to win nine games. The receivers, they're not that good, but they're good enough to win nine games. The tight ends are good enough to win nine games. Running backs, good enough. Like the team and the defense is going to be really solid. Like the team is good enough to win nine games. And I think that that would be assuming the quarterback does not get hurt because Zach Calzada can lead Auburn to nine to 10 wins. TJ Finley and Robbie Ashford and Holden. Cannot, like it, I disagree. Those, I, I disagree. Okay. You can keep I, on with your point. We'll come back to it, but hold I, that I thought. I think we will. But I, I just, I've, I'm not impressed. 
I'm not impressed by those guys. I think that if Zach Calzada gets hurt, you know, let's say if in week three Calzada goes down and Finley or Ashford comes in, I think that it's going to be tough sledding to win any conference games. But I think that Calzada can make Auburn a team that can hang on the field with anyone in the SEC. Because you saw, like, you know, we, we, we've talked about it. The Georgia game, yes, like, the score didn't look close. But if you watch the game, it was a lot closer than the score indicated. Iron Bowl, obviously, super close game. Alabama and Georgia were worlds more talented than Auburn was. And, yes, those games were at home, and that's going to matter. But I think the home advantage will help us in games against, like, Texas A&M and LSU. So I think that we will be able – to win some games if Zach Calzada is the starting quarterback. I like Calzada. I think that he is good enough to make Auburn a reputable coming third in the West type of team. Second to third in the West type of team. Now, Wheeler, let's hear your your take on the, uh, the quarterback situation. I think that Robbie Ashford has the potential. Listen, listen to this. To come in and have some reps to do some good things. I think Robbie's a better option than TJ is. Okay, we saw in the Iron Bowl, Noble, TJ, he, I, I'm not even kidding. There are statues, the two bunnies at the Auburn Museum. <laughs> they literally got stolen, which means they moved more than TJ did. Like, that. I, I have named two statues that are in the city of Auburn that have had more movement than T.J. Finley did in the Iron Bowl. That is sad. Okay. He did, okay, in his defense, he had a broken foot for half the game. Okay, no, no, no. He broke his foot in the second half. And, buddy, he was getting sacked in the first half, too. That's and fair. then That's fair. he didn't That's have fair. a broken foot. He twisted his ankle. He, he had a sprained ankle. And then in the bowl game against Houston, a group of five team, he still was a statue. No. You cannot tell me that he's a mobile quarterback. No, no, no. He's Zach, definitely not a mobile Zach quarterback. And Zach Calzada is more mobile. But here's the thing. Robbie Ashford is actually dynamic. Now, Calzada also tends to get sacked. But it's not because he can't move. Like, TJ, it looks like there's something hurt. Like, when he moves, it hurts me. Like, my feet hurt when T.J. Finley runs. They hurt for – I have empathy. I just see him out there, and I'm like, ah, that's hurting his feet bad. Like, Dr. Scholes needs to sign him to an NIL deal because that just looks painful. Zach holds on to the ball because he has watched Chris Collinsworth talk about quarterbacks stepping up in the pocket and taking a shot and wants him to say that about him. And he's just waiting for Smoke Monday to come in and target him three times and not get called for it. Different men, like, same result. They both get sacked. And we don't know. And everybody, you know, watches the videos from practice. And Zach looks tragic throwing the ball. We've seen him in NCAA football games throwing the football better. He is coming off of a surgery and is clearly in severe pain and hasn't thrown a ball in months. And he's still, I mean, that's the, kind of the sad thing, is he hasn't thrown a football in months and is in a shoulder brace, and, and the ball's coming out of his hand looking about like the other quarterbacks. And I feel terrible, too, because I don't know if, like, Carson ran off all the managers or if Auburn students are interested in things other than being football managers. They've got the poor quarterback over there catching the passes for the other quarterbacks. They don't even have him throwing. I don't know who it is. I think it's either twelve or thirteen. Poor dude stands out there in his orange jersey and drops every single pass. It, oh, it would not surprise me if Brian Harson was the kind of coach that if a quarterback missed a throw, he puts him on the duty to catch the balls because he doesn't think that quarterbacks should be pampered if they're not playing good. So I would definitely, I, I would, I would not put that past him as the reason to why the quarterbacks are, you know. Shagging balls out there. Yeah, but anyway. I, I understand what you're saying about Robbie Ashford being more mobile. I just don't think this offense is really built for a mobile quarterback. And I think that Robbie and TJ have – I think that if you could combine them, they'd be a really solid player. But I think that Ashford is going to be a guy – Well, if you combine like, them, they're Cam Newton. Yeah, exactly. 
But it's like, <laughs> I think that Robbie Ashford's going to be a guy like, yeah, he can move. Yeah, he can run. Yeah, he's an athlete. But I just don't think he'll be able to throw it very well. TJ, I think it'll be like, yeah, if he's standing in a perfectly clean pocket, never has to move and has a guy running, he can drop a dime. But that's never going to happen. So it's just like, I just don't think that Auburn will be able to find success with those guys like we can Calzada. And Calzada, his biggest thing, I think, he has to learn when the play is over. And he doesn't do that. And that's why he was hurt all last season, was because, like you were saying, you know, he tries to be the hero and step up in the pocket. And against Alabama, it's great. But against Auburn, he made some plays where you're like, dude, that was just stupid. Like, you're just taking hits that you don't need to take. And there is nothing to gain from getting rocked by Smoke Monday coming downhill and dislocating your shoulder and coming back in the next drive and just being broken. Like, that doesn't help you if you can just, you know, avoid pressure and throw it away. And that's something that Auburn, an Auburn, you know, Bo Nix, you know, you can fault him however you want. He was very good at knowing when to just live to see another down. He threw the ball away a ton. He protected himself when he needed to. He made some smart quarterback plays. You're not going to see that from Zach Calzada. Now, Zach Calzada might not throw it into, you know, double coverage because he's scared of, you know, letting the play die. He'll just stand there and get absolutely abused by someone that's blitzing. So it's going to be a little bit like, you know, Bo Nix, you just saw him throwing it away half the game. Zach Calzada, you're just going to see him getting pile drives by different linebackers and safeties the whole game. And TJ just stay. I mean, it's just the quarterbacks are just an interesting scenario, man. I, I just, I think that if Zach Calzada can stay healthy for the whole season, I think that Auburn will have a decent football season and the defense can win us some games. Now, I think as Calzada goes down, I think it's going to be a lot of what we saw at the end of last season. I think you're going to see a lot of South Carolinas and a lot of uh, Houston's and just expect Tank Bigsby to just be getting the ball a lot. And that's something I expect. I expect Brian Harson to find extremely new and different ways to get Tank Bigsby the ball. I would expect the offense to completely run through Bigsby, and he's getting 25, 30 touches a game. Which, here's the thing, is going to work against a lot of the opponents next year, but not against Alabama and Georgia. But we're not going to beat those teams. Like, yeah, but that, I want to be competitive. My... I don't, like, in the Iron Bowl this year, Auburn's offense ran out onto the field, and you just hoped that they could hold the ball long enough to melt some clock because you knew they weren't going to score. Like, there was no hope in my mind that there was going to be a score. None. Even when they got the ball in the two-yard line, I was like, I don't feel good about this. You know? And yeah. that that's not what you want to feel. You at least want to be like, if the defense is playing out of their mind, we've got a shot in this game, not – Oh, Lord. How's he going to get us out of field goal range after the defense played so well that we were in field goal range already? So Yeah, and I, I think that that's an interesting like, – I think that's a good point, but my perspective is I would rather design an offense that can win us nine games, and the, I don't think the team is talented enough to beat Georgia or Alabama on the road from what I've seen so far. But I do think that they are good enough to beat A&M and LSU at home and beat the Mississippi schools on the road. So I And I think that Tank Bigsby can have a big game against those teams. So I would rather, almost rather design an offense that can win us nine to ten games in the SEC. And you're like, you're just, you almost concede to the fact that, yeah, Georgia and Alabama will be able to stop this. And we're just going to have to come up with something new for them as opposed to coming up with an offense that you think might be able to find the crease in Alabama and George's defenses. Do you really think Robbie Ashford? He has surprised me from what I heard from the Oregon reports versus what I've seen in the drills this spring. I'm not saying he's going to be the starter. I'm not going to say he's ever plays it down at Auburn. He has at looked at least looked better in practice than I was anticipating him to look. Like when he came, I thought it was a joke. I thought that he knew somebody in the Auburn athletic department. But he's actually fairly solid. I think and that could potentially, if he can throw the ball, he's the starter. I don't care. Like, if he can throw the ball anywhere near Zach Calzada, which you say he wins nine to 10 games, he was going to be the third string at AM this year. So it's not like he's 
exactly elite at zipping the ball. Yes, but he did. He was the starting quarterback of a team that won, you know, that almost made the playoffs, you know? Yes. But I, I think that it's with Robbie Ashford. The, the quarterback room will be better. This, the quarterback room, I think, will be better this year than it was last year. And I think that if you have a guy like – I think that it will be the situation that if Calzada goes down against Mississippi State and TJ, you know, sprains his ankle against Alabama and is hobbling and can't, you know, hand the ball off, you're going to put Robbie Ashford in. Like, th- like when they wouldn't put Demetrius in, they will put Robbie Ashford in because they trust Robbie Ashford more than they trusted Demetrius. And that's why Demetrius hit the portal. But I, I just don't think that – I don't know if Demetrius is better than TJ. And the fact that he hasn't really – the fact that he hasn't proven that he's better than TJ doesn't really instill a ton of confidence in me that he'll be a big-time player or a potential starter. You know, that's just my yeah. my perspective about it. But regardless, we'll see how it goes. Let's see. It is currently March 29th. So A-Day is on April 9th. So we'll have one more podcast here before A-Day. Um, we'll be breaking down uh, basketball developments and then a little bit more football. And then we'll have another podcast the following week after A-Day to break down everything that we see there. Um, as always, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, we really appreciate all that and more Eagle. Where are you?